Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go. It's a brand new Flyers Daily for Friday, November 18th, as the Flyers drop their fifth straight game, 0-4-1 in their last five games, a 4-1 defeat at the hands of the Boston Bruins last night. Boston moves to 15-2 on the season and 10-0 on their home ice. Flyers kept this game close basically all the way through the second period. It went into the third period, down one nothing in the game. First goal comes at 11.25 of the second period on uh, Thomas Noshek's uh, goal, his second of the season. That put Boston on the board. And then in the third period, minus Travis Konechny. The Flyers go down 2-0 on a power play goal by Jake DeBrus. Slap pass from David Pasternak. Beautiful play. Flyers cut it to 2-1 at 9.48 of the third period when Owen Tippett fires one uh, by Linus Olmark. Picks up the power play goal, his fourth of the season. Then two goals from David Krejci put the icing on the cake for the Bruins. 4-1, the final Flyers get out shot in the game, 32-23. They actually draw Boston dead even in the faceoff circle. Boston, the best faceoff team in the NHL. 30 faceoff wins aside. Uh, four power plays for each team, each team with a power play goal. One number that is disturbing is this. The Flyers have killed four of their last 11 opposition power plays. They're killing at 36.4%. So simple math tells me they've killed four and they've gotten scored on in seven of their last 11 power plays. The, the penalty kill is going to have to improve for this team to have any fighting chance. There's not margin for error. They're not a team that can outscore opposition power play goals and opposition just straight up man-to-man five-on-five. They got a power play goal in this game. It was their only goal of the game. Just not generating enough offense. Look, this Boston team, as we talked about in yesterday's episode, they're fantastic. Number one in goals for Give up the least amount of goals in the league. Seventh on the power play. Uh, number one in the league on the penalty kill. They're, they are a team that is absolutely humming now. All parts are back. Charlie McAvoy, Brad Marchand, plus Bergeron, Pasternak, Krejci with a big game uh, with two goals for Boston last night. They've got depth. They've got it all. Good goaltending with Olmark and Swayman. Uh, Coach and uh, Jim Montgomery, who's done a great job there. Uh, early on in his tenure, and the Bruins are every bit legit. Like I said, 10-0 at home, 15-2 and to start the season. They were a team that I thought perhaps could be one of those playoff spots in the Eastern Conference that was up for grabs, that maybe in the Atlantic Division, that playoff spot could be one to be had, maybe by Ottawa or Buffalo or somebody else jumping up into the mix in that Atlantic Division. No, that doesn't look to be the case at all. Boston... An absolute wagon here early in the season. Flyers now 0-4-1 in their last five, as I mentioned. And they're they're bleeding right now. They're taking on water. They've played some good games. They played Boston tight for about 35 minutes of this game. Problem is the games are 60. You know, Torts talked about uh, yesterday before the game about instilling swagger in young players who lack confidence right now. Here's what Torch said. I can't give it to them, swagger. I don't have it in my pockets. It's something we'll talk about before we go out. It's something that's a goal of our ours as an organization and at least as a coaching staff. It's easy to have that swagger when you're winning. When you're not, 
You might be inclined to back off, but it comes from conversation. It comes from showing tape. It comes from looking at good things when there's some, some confident play. That's how you build that. And he went on to say, I think that's not instinctive to us right now, not even close, but that's the kind of angle of how we're trying to go about this. I think it's a good way to go about it. You know, swagger, confidence, whatever you want to call it, is paramount. If you're afraid to make a play in hockey, you're not going to make a play. You have to not have that fear of making a mistake. The league is too good. You cannot be afraid to make a mistake and play safe. You'll never score if you do that. You have to, I say it all the time, you have to incur risk to gain reward. And look, the Flyers right now are a team banged up, and now Konechny, we'll see where this goes. He did, Torts did not have an update on Konechny after the game, unfortunately. And it looked like, to me, like probably a finger as he had that collision along the wall in the Boston zone at the end of the second period. Took off his glove, head went back, took off his glove right away and shook his hand. I don't think you take off your glove and shake your hand if it's a wrist injury. But if it's a finger, you're like, ah, and you kind of shake your hand and you want to shake it off. But realized it was an issue right away. Went to the bench, talked to Sal Rafa, uh, the team's assistant athletic trainer, and went right back to the locker room and then obviously didn't come out for uh, a shift in the third period. So that's very concerning. Especially, I mean, we just talked about TK yesterday. The the torrid pace that he's on. I mean, he's on a 97-point pace. And now you're going to lose, perhaps, I don't know what the injury is or how long he'll be out or any of that stuff, but at this point... But you're going to lose your most consistent, your most dangerous, and your most effective offensive player. And a guy that's really been a heartbeat of the team. A guy that's taken on a leadership position. And the hits just keep on coming. It's unbelievable. For I hope for TK's sake, he can get right back in there and it's not a big deal. Because he's worked his butt off. He's a guy that came into camp in incredibly good shape. Best shape he's ever been in. Came in with a new coaching staff, you know, falling in line, was benched in that game early in the third period against San Jose, and has responded to it, beautifully responded to it. Seven multi-point games this season. And the team's leading point getter, killing penalties, doing it all. If he's out for any period of time, I first of all, I feel bad for the player. And second of all, what it does to the team is enormous because they're a team that can't afford to lose any more significant pieces. I mean, at this point, they're, I mean, this is insane what they're down to. Tort said after the game, he said uh, he was lamenting. I got this from Olivia Reiner's Twitter. She said, John Tortorella lamented the Flyers' lack of playmaking tonight. It's part recognition, execution, and missing playmakers to injury. He said, quote, I have to be really careful about staying patient with this until we really find out who we are when we get a few important guys that are out. I mean, they're missing so many players. You know, we can judge them on wins and losses, and that's fair. This is pro sports. That's totally fair. We can judge them with the understanding that a ton of guys are out. We can judge them on effort, which I think has been there all year in all situations, which is a good thing. Like, But that shouldn't be some big deal that you're going to laud them for effort, that should be a given. Torts is bringing that back. That wasn't a given the last couple of years. But again, that's not a feather in your cap. That's being a pro. And that's being a guy that's ready to answer the bell 
whenever the puck is dropped on a game. So that's not some great big accomplishment, but it's progress, if that makes any sense. So the missing players, and hopefully TK's not out for any extended period of time. If he is, who comes up? Tanner Lasinski was sent down to the Phantoms. Obviously, he's an option to be recalled. Is Tyson Forster an option, another right shot guy? We had Chuck Fletcher on about a month ago. He was pretty resistant to getting Tyson Forster up with the Flyers. So I don't know if that's an option. I don't know what the options are. Uh, but we all hope that TK can get back rather quickly and, and not miss much time because he's having a hell of a run so far this season, and he means a ton to the team, a ton. So the Flyers will be back at it on Saturday in Montreal. Montreal's off to a decent start considering expectations, 8-7-1 through 16 games, 17 points, 5-4-1 and one their last 10. Flyers now through 17 games, 7-7-3, seven, seven 17 points as well, and they are... Uh, two, five, and three in their last uh, 10 games, and they've lost five straight, 0-4-1. Oh, the one in there is that uh, overtime loss against Columbus just the other night when they battled back from two two-goal deficits. It's why I fretted that game so much, and it annoyed me so much to lose that game, to go down two, two goals twice, battle back both times, and then lose it knowing what was on deck in the Boston Bruins. I thought that was a really big missed opportunity against a Columbus team that was missing Wierenski, that was missing all kinds of players, line A, up and down their lineup, and the Flyers just couldn't secure that victory and ended up losing that one in overtime. And, you know, you got to get back at it. It's going to be a very busy week coming up, Flyers in Montreal. So Saturday to Saturday, Flyers will be in Montreal coming up on Saturday night. Every other game is home or away. Montreal Saturday night, take on the Habitant. Then back home for Hockey Fights Cancer Night on Monday. A little bit different days of the week that they'll be playing because of the Thanksgiving holiday this week. So Monday night, Hockey Fights Cancer Night against Calgary, who's scraping along as well. Hasn't been meeting their expectations. Then on Wednesday, they train it down to D.C. to take on the Caps for the first time this year. Back home for Thursday and Thanksgiving. Friday is the Black Friday game. This year at 5.30 against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And then a week from Saturday, a week from tomorrow, uh, they'll wrap up the calendar Saturday to Saturday uh, with a game against the New York Islanders in New York. So it's going to be a very busy week of hockey. This is a time when the coaching staff's probably going, we could use some practice time. If i got to call some guys up, we got to find some line combinations, some chemistry that work, get guys that haven't been here up the speed on the systems and play away from the puck and all those. Who are we going to use on the power play? Who are we using on the penalty kill? Who are we doing using in this situation or that situation? But that's not afforded to them right now. You got five games in eight days. Schedule is what the schedule is. And they're going to have to power through. And whether that's with Travis connecting or without him, you know, nobody's going to feel sorry for him. It's a tough week coming up. None of these opponents are exactly world beaters. I mean, you look at Calgary, who they face Monday. Calgary's a team that came in with a lot of expectations. 7-6-2 and two in 15 games. 16 points. They've won their last two, but that's a team that's looking to get their season straightened out a little bit after they had a great year last year, albeit with much different players. And then, you know, Wednesday, you get the Capitals on the road. Washington right now, below the Flyers by a point in the standings, and they've played one more game. They're 7-9-2. and two. Three, five, and two in their last ten. They've lost their last two. Then Pittsburgh on Black Friday. 
through 16 games, 6, 7, and 3, 15 points uh, in the seventh spot in the Metropolitan Division. And then you get the New York Islanders to wrap up the calendar week, uh, who are sitting in the second spot. They've got it together, the Isles. 17 games played, 11 and 6 on the season, 22 points, six points back of the top spot, which is the New Jersey Devils, who are 14 and 3. Isles, it's a home and home, too. Uh, Isles are 8 and 2 in their last 10. They've won their last two. So the Flyers, a week from tomorrow, will play the Islanders. On the island, and then they'll return to Philadelphia to take on the Islanders on Tuesday, November 29th, and that'll wrap up the calendar month of November as well. But let's get to a few more of our submissions from you guys, the great listeners, and continue this conversation about what this team is, where it's headed, what you like, what you don't like. I've been getting DMs and tweets and emails, and they're all fantastic. And I'm going to get through all of them, I promise you. I'm only getting about two, maybe three an episode, depending how long they are and depending if it's the day after a game. But let's start with this one from Emmanuel Sherinian. I hope I said your last name correctly, Emmanuel. Uh, I appreciate the note. Here's what he says. Hey, Jason, my name is Emmanuel Sherinian. I live in Toronto, Canada, and I'm a diehard Flyers fan that has been bleeding orange and black my entire life. Even growing up as a kid in Montreal, surrounded by Canadians in Nordiques jerseys. I always wore my Hextall or Taka jersey proudly, whether in school or during our epic street hockey battles. He said, I just love your show so much. It nourishes my soul every morning as I get breakfast ready for my kids before uh, their school and gather around the iPad and listen to you speak passionately and eloquently about the state of the Flyers. Mondays with Melter is just the best. Thank you for your daily content and keeping my family sane during the good times and the bad. Well, first of all, let's stop there. Where do I send the check? That was unbelievably nice of you to say, and I appreciate it greatly. He continues, Emmanuel. I'm very optimistic about where the organization is heading, especially with Tortorella steering the ship these next few years. I love their fight, how they stand up for one another, the resilience, ingredients that went missing the last couple of years. He said, there's so much I'd like to pick your brain about, but I thought I'd break the ice with my first email to you with a question and thought about Morgan Frost. Great topic. He said, I love that kid, but I'm just not sure who he is as a player anymore. Was he not supposed to supplement some scoring with Atkinson and Couturier out, and yet he's on the fourth line and just not creating as much offense as I believe he can? With Torch, you've got to earn your keep, and he's obviously not trusted to play a top-six role at the moment. So wondering your opinion on whether or not a change of scenery will do Frost some good, much the way... A change of scenery has elevated Tippett's game here in Philly, something he couldn't quite do in Florida. Frost has so much skill, and yet, where are the goals? Is it confidence? Are we keeping him around because we're thin at center with Coots out long term? Could we get something significant in return in a trade that could help us? Not saying I want to trade him, but relinquishing him to the fourth line duty doesn't seem like it's helping him or the team. Thanks for taking the time to read this and allowing us fans to reach out to you and share in the collective discourse of all things Flyers. You rock, Jason. Peace and good health. Emmanuel. Um, thanks for the email, Emmanuel. It's fantastic. Uh, I, I think the subject of Morgan Frost is a very interesting one. And there's elements of what you wrote that I go I agree with, and there's elements of what you wrote that I'm not sure how I feel about. I'm not going to say I disagree with anything that you wrote. I love the kid's skill set. He scored in junior. He was on a great line in junior. Great line. They had the puck all the time. Playing with a Kachuk, he was fantastic. And scoring at the junior level, as prolific prolifically as he did, 
can sometimes lead you to a false sense of what it's going to be like when you get to the NHL. I was talking to a former player two days ago about that. Some guys that have it really easy in junior have a really hard adjustment to the NHL. And maybe that's the case with Morgan. And, you know, him playing on the fourth line, I I would connect him and Farabee together for a long period of time and see what they can do. Joel, I don't think his game is completely dialed in. I'm not sure how much of that was the offseason surgery and just not being able to do a lot in camp and and leading into a season and rehabbing from uh, an injury. There's a difference. Rehabbing and training for a season is a big, big difference for players. And I just don't think Farabee has completely got his game in order just yet. He's had spurts where go, you go, oh, he had that one three-point game. You go, it looks like Farabee's game is back, but he's had moments of dropped off, and and he'll get it there, but it may take a little bit of time. So I would connect those two players together because I think that, you know, they're both skilled players. Farabee has scored at the NHL level. Morgan needs a guy that can create away from him a little bit. Also, Farabee's good defensively, so I would connect those two players and whoever the other winger is on that line. That can come and go. Um, but will a change of scenery help him? I, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, the change of scenery has helped help tip it. He couldn't really crack the code in Florida. wasn't getting the opportunity. He's getting opportunity here, tip it. And I think we're seeing more and more from him. Frost has opportunity, though, here as well. There's a lot of opportunity here. Look at all the injuries. I don't know the balance of he's got to earn to play with skilled players or this is the thing that I kind of go back and forth about. He does have a ton of skill. He hasn't put up points and finished. Is he playing with the top line guys on the team? No. Is it confidence? Absolutely. I think his confidence is definitely rattled. Um, so I I don't know that they're keeping him because Coots is out long term. I think that they're trying to figure out what he is. I think Torts is trying to figure out what he is. I think Morgan's trying to figure out what he is. And this process has been slow, and his development was interrupted with injury and like a lot of guys. But I don't know where it's going. I really don't know where it's going. But Emmanuel, thank you so much for the email. It's a great one. If you want to send an email, uh, you can do it to Jason, J-A-S-O-N, dot Mertitus, M-Y-R-T-E-T-U-S, at gmail.com. Uh, and I want to get to this DM as well. Flyer Squid. He sent me this after the game last night. He said, is it me or does Hart seem to give up an inordinate number of breakaway one-on-one goals? He always seems to fall further and further into the net as the attack comes at him and never comes out to cut down the angle. I love his overall improvement, but I download... uh, (laughs) He said, I love his overall improvement, but he's wondering about the breakaways. I don't know. I'll have to get the data from Kevin Woodley from In Goal Magazine on that or from uh, Stephen Valaket over at Clearsight Analytics. But, you know, a, not all breakaways are created equal. Sometimes a breakaway happens where a guy breaks in from just inside your, your blue line on a turnover, and it's deemed a breakaway. Other breakaways are multi-zone breakaways from the far blue line coming in all alone, like we saw that last week on that turnover from Konechny, and Boone Jenner got that breakaway. That was a breakaway all the way. And, like, you want to come out with the player. Now, depending on where that breakaway or that play starts determines how much ice you take. 
for the goaltender, how much, how far you go out. But you do want to come out and flow back with the attacking player. And you just can't bite. You can't bite first. Every player in the NHL, when they come in on a breakaway, they're going to show you something with the idea of deception. Like Scott Lawton's really good at it. He's a guy that loves the shoulder shimmy, lift of the foot, get the goalie to slide and open up, and then slide at five hole. And in a breakaway earlier this season, I think it was against Vancouver, and Mike Yo was here last year. He knows what Lawton's tendencies are in those breakaway opportunities. He went in on Thatcher Demko and kind of showed like he was going to come in for a deke and then just fired it high glove and beat him. So you got to, as a goalie, you're reading everything, but you know I got to stay really patient. And as the player's coming closer and closer, you're receding back into your net. Because if you stay out too far, it's so easy for him to just juke and go around you and just tuck it in behind you. So it's a difficult thing. I think that uh, a penalty shot or a shootout attempt is much easier on a goaltender than an in-game breakaway. You know what's coming in a shootout. You know, probably have some kind of data on the player that you're facing and their tendency of what they like to do. Some goalies like a lot of that information, some don't. And you kind of have, you know, some time to think about it and prepare for it. In-game, a turnover can happen like that, and then boom, it's on top of you and it's a breakaway, and it can catch you off guard really quick. A goalie has to have points in the game during play where he can semi-disconnect his engagement of his brain because the goalie never goes off the ice. He doesn't take shifts. So, you know, obviously during stoppages, you have in TV timeouts, you disconnect your brain, and then you have your ritual to get reattached. If there's a, op, a face-off in your D zone, you go through your ritual to get square and set up for the face-off and get ready to go to start reacting to the play. If you come out of a TV timeout and it's all the way down to the other end, you're kind of just, you're, your mind is not drifting, but you're not completely mentally engaged until the attack starts coming your way, and then you have your point of where you go, okay, I am starting to assess. I'm assessing all the threats. I remember hearing an interview with Martin Brodeur, and he said the red line was where he started his re-mental engagement. So as the other team is coming up the ice out of their zone, breaking out, when they got to the red line, now he's starting to assess where's the wingers, where's the puck, is he coming, is the player carrying the puck, a player with speed that's going to take it to the outside and try and feed a low to high play or a cross ice pass, is he going to drop it off for a D and then create traffic? He's got to figure out all these different options that they have based on knowing the opponent and what's being shown to him in front of him. But he waited till the red line to really re-mentally engage. Because if you try and stay totally dialed in to every pass and every movement of the puck, in all zones, you'll be gassed by the end of the, probably by midway through the second period. You have to have those rest points for your brain along with your body. So when it happens in a game, a turnover and a quick breakaway, that happens like that really fast. You don't have time to think. That's why the shootout or a penalty shot is much different than an in-game breakaway. But I'll dig up some numbers on that flyer squid. I'll find out where kind of Carter ranks on breakaways or players in the clear. And I will report that on an upcoming podcast, I promise you. It's a very good question. And uh, just wanted to kind of explain, as I see it, the difference between a breakaway and really depends on where that breakaway starts and how much time the goalie has to 
set up his position and get ready for that, recognize who it is and all those different elements of it. So we'll get some data on that for you and uh, report back here on Flyers Daily. All right, we'll preview Flyers Montreal in tomorrow's episode, and we'll get you ready for that game. Hopefully the Flyers can end this five-game skid against the uh, Montreal Canadiens on Saturday night before returning home to take on Calgary for Hockey Fights Cancer Night on Monday. Um, tickets are available for that game on Monday, Hockey Fights Cancer Night. If you're ever thinking about going to a game, that's a great game to go to. It supports a great cause. Um, I, I'm sure everybody that is listening to this has been affected in some way, shape, or form, or someone they know or love has been affected by that horrific cancer. I have, both my parents, and it's a special night there. So if you're looking for a game to go down to, uh, I encourage you to come down Monday. Go to PhiladelphiaFlyers.com uh, to score some tickets for Flyers Calgary and Hockey Fights Cancer Night coming up on Monday. Everybody, have a great Friday. We'll be back at it tomorrow. Join us then for a brand new episode of Flyers Calgary.